Good morning, Hope Vale. Will you stand and worship with us this morning? We're so glad you're here.
Father, thank you so much for being alive in us. God, may your spirit come and may, be, may we be receptive of your voice and what you want us to hear today, God. And, and may we just lift all to you right now in worship. We thank you so much again for bringing us here today, Lord. In your name, amen. We want to welcome you today. We're so glad that you're here with us. If you would take a moment and um, say hello to your neighbor. And also, we have people still coming in. So if you would come kind of to this uh, middle of your aisle, that would be great. So everyone can have an opportunity to sit down. Thank you so much. Oh, you may be seated. What a friendly group. Wow. That's great. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm Ken McGillivray. I'm one of the pastors here at Hopevale. And just like to welcome you to worship the Lord with us, to let him speak to each of us through our worship, through his word this morning. That's why we're here. That's why we've gathered in this place. If you're here with us at Hopevale for the first time this week, we want to welcome you and invite you to stop by our welcome center in the lobby after the service. And there you can get more information about Hopevale. And also we have a special gift that's just for you. So we're at week three in our First John series, and here's what you can still do. Uh, you can pick up a journal while they last at the info desk right outside these doors. Uh, you can also uh, join a discussion group, a First John discussion group, uh, if you would like to do that and jump on board and discussing what you're learning with others at Hopevale. And finally, you are welcome to take the First John class that we do on Sunday evenings, or one of our other uh, good classes that we do. Um, did you know that a team of Hope Valers is going to Haiti in early March? Uh, we are. And we also have mission teams that are going to the Dominican Republic and to Zimbabwe this July. And so if you've made it one of your New Year's goals to go on a mission trip uh, this year, I want to, we wanted to invite you to uh, be part of a mission trip information meeting. Pastor Adam is leading that will be next Sunday after both of our services right in the hub, so the former library, uh, mission trip info meeting. So stop by, no strings attached. You can just get some info on these trips and then see how God leads you from there. I want to invite our ushers to come forward now. Um, you know, that's, that's why we give regularly, generously to the Lord's work at Hopevale uh, for things like these mission teams, uh, for God working out his mission through us in this local community, but also around the world. That's why we give. That's why we do what we do. And so let's pray to that end, can we? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, we pray that you will speak to us, and we pray that you'll use us in this body this morning. Help us to be an encouragement, a blessing to others around us. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to give towards your work, towards your mission through us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. You can remain seated as we continue in our worship with offering. And we're going to continue with a song in just a minute here. But I sort of wanted to share just some things that were kind of on my heart as we were preparing with this song. And there's so much that we're doing that Pastor Dan's been talking about in this First John series about us um, and our relationship with Christ. And, and he talked about that fellowship with Christ and that quality. And uh, so as we give in our offering and later when we take communion, 
to just sort of be focusing on that relationship with him. There's a verse in the song that we're about to sing that talks about Christ as the wind inside my sails and the anchor in the waves. He is my song. And just those two things, that imagery to me was perfect of sort of feeling Christ within us and the Holy Spirit within us pushing us forward uh, when all of those weather issues are favorable and we're making our way on our journey, but then also when those waves come crashing against us and, and when we're uncertain and when we're lost and, and fearful and, and knowing that he is our anchor, that inside of us, our relationship, that connection with him, that we're going to be okay because God has us. And so he's that anchor for us as well. So if you can just kind of remain seated and we're going to go ahead and get started. Rod, if you'll take us in.
go ahead and have a seat. Well, we hope you're enjoying the First John series so far. Are you? You enjoying the series? Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Um, I am. And I, I love the title of this message series, Confidence in the Chaos. And when you think about it, confidence, it's, it's hard to come by these days, isn't it? It really is. And if you're willing to read First John and other parts of the Bible, honestly, plainly, the truth is, what God says sometimes can shake rather than strengthen our confidence, can it? And that's because we encounter descriptions of God like the one that John states in chapter 1, verse 5 that Dan has talked about. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we're honest with ourselves, we realize that God is light and we are not. You know, God is light. He is always and in every way perfectly and absolutely good and right, sinless and perfect. And as our creator, as the giver of life to us, God has every right to ask us to love him, to honor him with our whole heart, to obey him in everything that we think and say and do. God is light. And I am not. You are not. So you think about where does that leave us? So verses like that can shake our confidence, but it's a good shaking. It's a shaking for a good purpose. So I love that John adds to his description that God is light, chapter 1, verse 5, that God is also faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just a few verses later, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. So God is light. But God is also absolutely and perfectly faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is light. God is love. He's faithful. He's just. And he does that by providing an advocate for us. What Pastor Dan talked about last week in the message, an, an advocate for us, an atoning sacrifice for us, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So the one who came to this earth and did perfectly and absolutely honor God with all of his heart in everything he thought and said and did. And then Jesus gave his life as the atoning sacrifice, not as a not as a good example, not as a mistake and something that got out of control with an itinerant Jewish rabbi. That's not what happened there. God sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to pay for all of the offenses that we owe to God for us as our substitute, as our sacrifice once for all. That's what Jesus did for us. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say in the New Living Translation, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones or pays for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins 
of everyone on earth. That's why we remember and worship the Lord Jesus during this time of communion. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow in his own blood. He did everything necessary to bring us back to God. And so let's worship him uh, this morning as we share in our communion time together. I want to invite our servers to come forward, if you will. Now, we at Hopevale, we invite everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ to share in communion with us. Uh, whether or not you're a member or even an attender of this church, uh, if you know Christ, if you're a believer, a Christian as the Bible defines it, uh, we welcome you to be part of this time of worship with us. And parents, we trust your discretion, too, in, in discerning whether your, your children truly know Christ. They've made that commitment of their lives to Jesus. And if they have, communion has no age limit. If they have put their trust in Christ, they're welcome to share in this time of worship with us this morning. If not, parents, this is a good opportunity for you to explain what this sacred time means uh, to followers of Jesus. And so let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we, we just want to give you thanks for your love for us, for sending your own son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to come, to de delighting to do your Father's will and coming to this earth for us because of your compassion, because of your love for us, and going all the way to death on a cross. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving your body for us. Amen. On Jesus' last night on this earth, he and his 12 disciples gathered in a second-story room in Jerusalem. And Jesus took off his outer robe. He knelt down and washed his disciples' dirty, dusty feet from the streets of Jerusalem. And John says that he loved them to the end. And then Jesus shared a, a traditional Passover meal with his disciples. And as part of that meal, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks to God and said to them, take and eat this bread. Now, this is my body, which is given for you. So let's eat this in remembrance of him. Lord, you are amazing. Will you, through your Holy Spirit, uh, work in each of our hearts, not only this morning, but through this week and next week and for the rest of our lives to show us how amazing you really are. Thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you for shedding your blood so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed and purified from all our sin. Amen. After Jesus ate that Passover meal with his disciples, he took a cup of wine and, and said, man, this, this cup represents God making a new covenant with all of you, which is going to happen through my blood, the shedding of my blood. And so Jesus...
told us that as often as we drink this cup to remember his death, to worship him, to remember his coming, uh, and to do this until he comes. So let's worship him as we drink this cup together. Father, we have confidence not because we're always good, not because we're religious and we try harder than the next person, but we have confidence that we're your children, that we know you because your son Jesus gave his life for us. He paid it all. He did everything necessary so that we could be forgiven and brought back to you. And we believe, we believe that. We've given our lives to you, we give our lives to you. And so thank you for this time to remember, to worship you, to thank you for your love for us, to say that we love you. Thank you that we can continue this series, Lord. Be with Pastor Dan as he teaches us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here at Hopewell. Great to worship together. Great to share communion together and to remember our Lord's death on our behalf. And I want to welcome those of you in Bay City. Know that you had communion together as well and trust that that was a moving and powerful experience. This morning, we are continuing our message series in the New Testament book of 1 John, entitled Confidence in the Chaos, Confidence in the Chaos. And we're a couple weeks into it now already, and it has been wonderful to hear how you are using the journal that we've handed out and being a part of those 1 John discussion groups during the week. And why it's so meaningful to me is because I think these experiences reinforce a value that we hold dear here at Hopewell, and that's the value to live out a 168 kind of faith, right? Or being a Christian doesn't mean we just put in our one hour on a Sunday and that's it for us, but we want to invite Jesus into every hour of our week, all 168 of them, right? And into every area of our lives, right? And so using this journal during the week where we can read, reflect, respond to God's word to us through 1 John and then discuss that with others, right? That's how we can experience our Lord in just very powerful and personal ways. Now, like I said last week, it's not too late to join our journey through 1 John. So if you don't have a journal or you still want to be part of our six-week 1 John D groups, we have people out in the lobbies at both campuses who can help you out with that. Today, as we continue on, I just want to give you a quick review of where we've been so far, right? First John is this letter that is written towards the end of the first century by the Apostle John, who was one of the original 12 disciples, and he wrote that to Christians under his pastoral care. 
In his earlier years, John was a faithful follower of Jesus. He was a firsthand eyewitness to the ministry and the miracles of Jesus. And this is both before and after the crucifixion and the resurrection. In other words, John was actually there. He saw it all, including a brutal cross, an empty tomb, and a risen Lord. As a matter of fact, as we saw in the opening message, 1 John essentially begins with John recounting his impressive, I was there credentials with us so that we can trust what he says. Well, after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Christian church began at Pentecost, John became one of the key leaders and spiritual fathers of the church in its infancy. And yet as time continued to go on, these other very compelling and competing voices with far less pedigree than John had, they began to speak up. And they were claiming that they knew the way to God. They knew how Christians could become more spiritually enlightened. And so with all this competing chatter out there, it created a lot of confusion and chaos for this group of Christians that John was caring for and writing to. And so John, as any good leader would do, didn't sit idly by and just let it happen. No, he spoke up both to challenge these false teachers, but also to remind these Christians about true faith in the real Jesus. Now, last week, we saw some of John's confrontation. He said that God is light, that God is way up here. He is pure and perfect light, and that we are not, and that they, these supposedly spiritually enlightened leaders, are not either. So don't believe the lies, John says, that they're spreading, that we're without sin. Those are lies, because if you believe that, you're just deceiving yourself. You know, unlike God, we are selfish. We do sin. There is this gap, but thankfully God and his great love for us doesn't leave us in this place of desperation and helplessness. No, God the Father sent us his son. He gave us a savior. And this savior, Jesus, changes everything. Like we saw last week, this is how John puts it at the beginning of 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. Somebody who is with us, somebody who is for us, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is the one and he's the only one who bridges the gap between us and God so that we can have fellowship, close fellowship, intimate relationship the God who created us. And then verse two, going on, he says, he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's what we just celebrated in communion, that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, and not just for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I love that John gives us that both and, because it's a reminder That this hope that we have in Jesus is what we both celebrate together in here, but it's also what we share with others out there. That because of Jesus, there is hope for everyone. Well, today as we go on in 1 John, John is going to continue to press us toward the truth. He wants us to make sure that we can tell the difference between the real thing and a worthless imitation when it comes to genuine Christian faith. It's a challenge back then, and that same challenge exists for us today. It really does, where it seems like everybody claims to have all the answers. So 
Who are we supposed to listen to? You know, for me, I want to listen to the guy who was actually there, who was actually there with Jesus and whose lives was, life was radically and dramatically and forever changed by him. And so should the rest of us. So here's what John says, verse 3. He says that we, have, we know that we have come to know him, God, if we keep his commandments. We know that we have come to know God, how? If we keep his commandments, that we can know confidently that we have come to know God personally if we keep his commands, that our obedience to God is the true test of faith. It's what we say a lot around here at Hope Hills. Not just can you talk the talk, but can you also walk the walk? Does the practice of your faith line up with the profession of your faith? And John says that if you can answer that question with a yes, then you can be confident that you know God personally and have fellowship with him. Now, like so many other places in 1 John, I, I love this verse because John is just simply repeating something he heard years earlier from the mouth of Jesus. In other words, John's not making up any new rules here, created in his own religion like others were doing back then. No, he's just faithfully passing along what Jesus told him and the rest of the 12 disciples. Look at this from the Gospel of John where Jesus is sharing some parting words with his disciples, right? It's what we just celebrated with communion. This is the night before his crucifixion as they gathered together one last time. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, short, sweet, to the point. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you'll have all the answers. If you love me, you'll sound so smart. If you love me, you'll be so much better than all those mediocre Christians around you, right? Now, what does Jesus say? Here it is. If you love me, keep my commands. Keep my commands, right? That our love for Jesus and obedience to Jesus, they go together. They go together. That's what John is saying. So back in 1 John, as he's trying to point believers back to genuine Christianity, he says that we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commands. And let me just say that when John spells out this test for consistency, this test of obedience, I think he has two audiences in mind. The audience of they and the audience of thus, of, of us. So the they are these silky smooth, talking so-called spiritually enlightened leaders that he's warning the church back then about, but then he's talking about us, the church, Christians, ourselves, right? We know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. It's true for everyone, both the them and the us. And this tie to obedience is the theme of this, this overarching section, right? But then John drills down even more specifically and says, let me tell you what I mean when I talk about obedience, what it does and doesn't look like. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, right? Whoever's out there saying, you know, you want to be tight with God like I am, right? But does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. That what? That our words are tested by our works. Our words are tested by our works. Now, I've got to admit that when I was thinking about this verse this past week, and I saw that line, I know him. I know him. My mind kept going back to that very special Christmas moment we all know and love, right? I know him. You know what I'm talking about, right? Here it is. Buddy the elf, right? 
Now, you thought I was talking about the other Christmas. No, I'm talking about this Christmas, right? I know him. I know him. Santa, oh my gosh, Santa's coming. I know him. Here he is. He's so excited. He learns that the real Santa is going to come to the department store, and he can't contain himself. Why? Because if you know the story of the movie Elf, Buddy the Elf knew the real Santa. He spent time with the real Santa. Year after year after year, he saw Santa perform his Christmas magic. I know him. That's what he claimed, right? And because Buddy the Elf knew the real Santa, he could sniff out all the imposters, right? Now, if you don't know the movie, I need to apologize that I'm spending so much time on this, okay? But if you do know the movie, you know I have to finish this thought, right? Because a little later on, this fake department store Santa shows up, right? Smelling like beef and cheese, if you know the movie. And he looks at him and he says what? You sit on a throne of lies. You're not the real Santa. I know the real Santa. You're not. You sit on the throne of lies. See, this is exactly where John is coming from. I really do have a point, and I'm about to make it, right? John knows the real Jesus. John knows the way to God. And unlike the rest of them, he could honestly say, I know him. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. And so you can imagine why John was so angry with all these frauds who were claiming to be in the light, who knew the way, and yet what? They were living such morally inconsistent lives. He sniffed it out. And so instead, John says, verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. You can say you love God, but obedience is the proof. And John says that when we do obey God, our love for him is made complete in us. Our love for God, is, it takes root in us and it grows. See, this, this verse is about how obedience grows our capacity for God's love, both in the giving of the love and the receiving of the love, right? It grows our capacity. It doesn't grow the amount of love that God has for us, right? It's not like God loves us anymore when we obey and he dislikes us when we disobey. But obedience grows our capacity for God's love, both how, what we can take in and what we can give out. That's how the love for God is truly made complete in us. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Then John goes on with the rest of verse 5 and verse 6. Here's what he says. This is how we know we are in Jesus, right? Whoever claims, there was a lot of claiming going on, a lot of people claiming they knew God, but whoever claims to live in him must live like Jesus did. That to live in Christ is to live life Christ. That that is where life is found. That it's that kind of obedience in our life, that kind of consistency that's going to help strengthen our confidence so that we can know that we are in him. John is appealing to spiritual integrity. John is warning us against spiritual hypocrisy. So that if anyone is going to claim that they're tight with Jesus, then their life, their actions, their behavior, they have to somehow resemble the way Jesus lived. Not in the performing miracles part, but in things like priority for God's kingdom, patience with people, passion for the truth. That there has to be some kind of resemblance. And so we better not claim that we live in him unless we're going to behave like him. That our obedience to God and his word, that's the ultimate test. 
between true faith and a phony counterfeit faith. One that might look and sound really impressive on the outside but has no real substance on the inside. We know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. That's the major point John's trying to get across here. But then from there, he's going to take this overall idea of obedience and apply it more specifically. He goes on, verse 7, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Now, what's John talking about here, the new command, the old command? I mean, it feels like such an abrupt change in the conversation, but if we hold on for a minute, we can see where John's going. It's not a rabbit trail. Verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, when John mentions this new command, he's pointing us to the words of Jesus that he recorded in his gospel, words that no doubt were already well known to Christians back then as they made their way, these words, across all these churches that were scattered. And what were those words of Jesus? Again, back to the gospel of John, back to the upper room with the 12 disciples, back to the night before his impending crucifixion, that in the gospel of John, Chapter 13, verse 34, verse 35, John records these words of Jesus. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By the way, here at Hopevale, this community of grace and truth, we, we love this passage. This passage is foundational for us. This is what the church, what we should be all about. Where Jesus takes the old covenant commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, and he ratchets it up a level to say, not only do I want you to love your neighbor as yourself, but now he says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. That Jesus is the new standard. That Jesus and all his selfishness, selflessness, and his sacrificial love is our new standard for obedience. And so back to verse 8, I am writing you a new commandment. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing in the true light. Who's the true light? Jesus. Not what everyone else was claiming back then. Jesus. The true light is already shining. And when Jesus came, he ushered in this new era. He gave us this new commandment where we too then, the church, are to shine his true light into this dark world. See, this is where John is going. So John is still thinking about obedience to God's command as the true test of faith. But now, in reference to the new commandment Jesus gave us, John is challenging us with the ultimate test of faith, which is the test of love. And so here's what John says about the ultimate test of love. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister, that's by the way, talking about relationships in the church, not family per se, but the church, is still in the darkness. Again, John is confronting those claiming to be in the light. He's not just pointing their overall disobedience to God's command, but now he's calling out their hatred, their deviousness, their intentional desire to do harm to brothers and sisters, right? He's saying this is disobedience to Jesus' new commandment. That moral inconsistency, that's bad enough, but hatred 
is proof that they still dwell in the darkness. In other words, smart but spiteful doesn't cut it in the kingdom of God. No, instead, verse 10, John says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. That love and light go together just as hatred and darkness go together. And so the one who lives in the light also walks in love and does so steadily and securely. But, verse 11, you get John like back and forth, right? But anyone who hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I think what John's saying here is that our love for others or our hatred not only reveals whether we're in the light or in the darkness, but that love and hatred can reinforce where we are and take us even further. In other words, the more we love, the greater the light, but the more we hate, the deeper the darkness. And real life bears that out, doesn't it? Why? Because hatred can be so blinding. When we harbor hatred towards someone, it then spills over into our other relationships. That prejudice can warp our perspective where we don't see other people for who they really are. We don't give them a fair shot, but rather our hate causes us to misview them and mistreat them right out of the blocks. That is how blinding the darkness of hate can be. And so instead, John says, anyone who loves a brother or sister lives in the light. There's nothing in them that will make them stumble. So yes, the ultimate test of obedience is the test of love that we have for our brother and our sister in Christ. And so as John says all this, he certainly gives us a lot to think about. Think about when it comes to things like genuine faith, authentic love. And so to me, this should be incredibly helpful for us as we're trying to make sense of what to believe in such a noisy world with so many different voices trying to convince us that they know the truth, that they have the light, that they alone can show the way to God. So how do you know who's right? Who are you supposed to believe? Well, John gave us the answer, right? He says there is the test of obedience and there's the test of love. In other words, true faith isn't about how much you know. And it's not about how convincing you sound. Rather, it's about how much you obey God and how well you love others. That in John's mind, that is the test. That is how we live in the life. And this is the foundation of genuine faith in Jesus Christ that we're all going to need if we need, if we want to stand confident in the chaos. And so as I begin to wrap up, I want to encourage us to apply this in a couple specific ways. First, discern your influences. Discern your influences and look under the microscope that for us as Christians, we need to examine, we need to pay attention to the people who have spiritual influence over our lives. Examine. Now, when I say examine, there's a difference between being judgmental versus being discerning, right? Like, I'm not saying you're supposed to go around and make all these surfacey judgments about how genuine or not genuine everyone else's relationship with God is, right? That's not what John is getting at. But I think he is saying that it's okay for us to be discerning, to have spiritual scrutiny when it comes to our influencers, right? Teachers, leaders, speakers, authors, pastors, priests, mentors, ministers, you name it. John knows how easy it is. He also knows how incredibly dangerous it can be for us to fall prey to someone who is really compelling and claims to have all the answers, because we want to know. 
And so John says, discern your influences. Look at their lives. Are, uh, do they practice what they preach? Do they themselves obey what God has revealed to us in his word? Is there more in them consistency or hypocrisy? That's why I can get so angry at some of these high-profile Christian celebrities who are constantly pleading for money from followers who have none while they're out living these ostentatious lifestyles. Is that really in line with God's character standards for spiritual leaders? And then there's this love others test too, and I realize that we don't have up close and personal access to the people who influence us. But I would wanna know, do they love others well? What's their relationship with their spouse like? How do they treat people they're not trying to impress, like support personnel or wait staff when they're eating out, right? A love for others. My point is this. I don't think John's asking for perfection from all our spiritual influences, and I don't think he wants us to be paranoid either. But if you see something strange, if you sense something is off, Pay attention to that, that if their beliefs are not consistent with their behaviors and what God has commanded in his word, that is a red flag. It's a problem. What does John say? Whoever says, I know God, we're like this, but they do not do what God commands is what? Is a liar. Such harsh languages, but John is calling out people like this. The truth is not in that person. So if you want to walk in the truth, the real truth, then discern your influences, right? But then second, these tests are not just for other people. They're also for ourselves. I would say diagnose yourself as well. Don't just look under the microscope at others, but look into the mirror at yourself. How well do we fare when it comes to these two tests of obeying God and loving others, where the practice of our faith is consistent with the profession of our faith? Do they line up or do they contradict each other? As I heard another pastor once say years ago, that if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Oh, wow. Tough, challenging words, no question about it, but they need to be asked. That if we are harboring hatred towards another brother or sister in Christ, John says we're walking around in darkness, blinded to the truth. Now, again, I don't think John's asking for perfection. I think there is a difference when it comes to being upset with someone versus having hatred towards someone, right? Because in this life, there are always going to be people who rub you the wrong way, right? It's not getting upset, but what do we do beyond that initial reaction? Will we continue to hold grudges, harbor hatred? See, that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of his new commandment. As I have loved you, Jesus said, so you must love one another. Or as the scriptures tell us, forgive others just as the Lord has forgiven us. So yes, we need to discern our influences, but if we are going to live in the pure and perfect light of the Lord, then we also need to diagnose ourselves. Obey God, love others. These are the tests of genuine faith. And I know they're challenging, but you know what? We've been reminded through communion today that we don't have to fear such daunting standards because Jesus has bridged the gap. His death covers our sins and our failures 
so that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that grace that he extends to us not only invites us into honesty, but it also empowers us to grow. Right? That the love of God in us produces our love for God through us. Where not only we want to be, but now we are able to obey him and love others. This is our confidence in the chaos that we can know confidently, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that we know God personally because we keep his commands. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you, through the words of John, give us a clear picture and a roadmap on how to really know, who to really believe, when it comes to genuine faith. People can sound so persuasive, they can be so convincing. But do they obey you? Do they love others? And God, that's something we're not only used for the discernment of those who influence us, but they're honest questions we need to ask ourselves. Is there alignment or is there inconsistency? And so, God, we've walked through communion today, been honest with you, and we're just asking you to continue to reveal your truth to us. Because, Jesus, you have done so much for us. We want love for you to be made complete in us. So, Lord, guide us in your truth that we may walk in the light steadily, and securely, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in a moment, uh, we are going to close with a song of worship and response. Afterwards, after the service, I, I want to let you know about something that we're doing new, that um, in the hub, the room just outside our lobby to my right here, we're going to have some elders in there available to talk to and, and pray with you. We realize that uh, every Sunday, but especially on communion Sundays, that sometimes there's the need just to talk, to, to have someone pray for us. And so a few of our spiritual leaders, elders, pastors are going to be in there. And um, if you want someone to do that for you, I'd encourage you, again, this side of the lobby in the room called The Hub, right next to our info desk. And want to extend that invitation to you. But now I'll have the worship team come up. We'll respond in worship. Why don't you stand together? as we sing. You are the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. You're hidden. Come
we're singing this song, I'm thinking about the word obedience. It's such a harsh word. It's one that a lot of us, maybe we just have really negative connotations, right? That obedience is something we have to do. Jesus changes everything. And obedience becomes something not that we have to do, but something we get to do, we want to do. And because of his love in us, we are able to do that we love him because he has first loved us. And so as you find strength, courage, confidence in the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus, my prayer for you is that you would walk in obedience. Next week, we'll continue our Confidence in the Chaos series in 1 John. But as you go from here, may you go confidently in the love of the Lord. God bless you.